Hey everyone, pastors Matt and Sarah Keller here, and we want to give you an update on what is going on here in Southwest Florida. We are standing at our downtown Fort Myers distribution. At the end of September, Hurricane Ian came in and brought serious devastation all across Southwest Florida. Tens of thousands of homes and businesses have been affected, with many of them completely destroyed. People are still without power, and there continues to be water and food scarcity here in so many of our communities. But here's the good news. The Church of Jesus has come together to shine a light in the darkest hour. Through your church's generosity, you've helped us provide hurricane essentials to over 30,000 people. We've provided nearly 200,000 hot meals to first responders, people in shelters, and so many who have needed it at this time in our community. We've mobilized over 250 teams to do projects such as tarping roofs or clearing debris, clearing flooded houses, ripping out drywall, and bringing the light of Jesus to our city. Recently, we were talking to a mom in the car line with three kids in the back seat, and she looked us looked at us in desperation and just said that without our food and water distribution, she wouldn't have had anything for her kids to eat that day. We are truly giving hope. This whole time has reminded us of what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 40, when he said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Church, we are not finished. We're in this for the long haul. And we know that our road to recovery will take a while. And we're so thankful for your continued partnership as we continue to shine the light of Jesus in Southwest Florida. Seacoast Church, Pastors Greg and Debbie, Pastors Josh and Lisa, we love you. Thank you. Through your church's generosity, we're making a huge kingdom impact in Southwest Florida. And we are believing that when the world is at its darkest, the light of Jesus shines the brightest. We truly can't do this without you. Isn't that great seeing the church mobilize in times of need? Listen, um, that's one of three videos that were sent to us this week from different organizations just saying thank you. And uh, I wanted to show you one of them. And I wanted to tell you thank you uh, because of your giving and your generosity here at Seacoast. We didn't have to take up a special offering. Uh, we've talked about this in the past, but we like to keep uh, uh, some money in a disaster relief fund that we can act quickly when something like this happens. And so, uh, but you guys are a part of so much that you don't see and feel and hear about. So we want to occasionally just let you know what your giving is doing. And so thank you guys so much for your generosity uh, and the way that you're serving in ways that you didn't even know that you were serving. We're glad that you guys are here. Uh, welcome to Seacoast. My name's Josh Surratt. If I haven't met you, uh, I serve as a lead pastor and I'm honored to be with you this weekend, and I want to welcome all of you who are joining us at one of our campuses. I want to give a shout out to our Conway campus. We've got a brand new campus pastor, Pastor David Howard. We're so grateful for you uh, and the way that you're leading up there and uh, all of our campuses online. We're glad all of you guys are with us as well. Uh, we're in a series called The Tide is Rising. Uh, we're wrapping that up this weekend. I mentioned in week one of that series that that series name has nothing to do with Alabama football, and that proved to be true this weekend. Uh, but listen, we're not going to pile on your wounds. We're praying for you. If you're a Bama fan, uh, know that uh, we're not celebrating your loss, but we are celebrating Tennessee's win. Um, we were all Tennessee fans this week. But, uh, but, but it's been a great series, just talking about what God is doing, really believing and anticipating that we're in a season right now where God is moving in a unique way in our community 
in our world. Last weekend, Pastor Greg talked about his vision and what he's doing to serve leaders and serve churches. And I just want to let you know that after his message last weekend, you guys have given almost $100,000 to invest in pastors. That means 66 pastors will go on the retreat next year, uh, fully paid for by Seacoast Church. And so thank you guys for your generosity and believing in what he's doing. And uh, one of the things that they do when they go out there, part of the way that they get into these guys' hearts is they take them fishing. Uh, they, they spend some time fishing. And I don't know about you, are there any fishermen or fisherwomen in the house today? Some of you guys love to fish. I, I could never get into fishing because for me, basically what fishing meant is going out into the hot sun, uh, getting eaten alive by bugs, and feeling like a failure because I would never catch anything. I just wasn't any good at it. But now that we've got this retreat center, every now and then I'll get a chance to go out there and I'm learning from guys like Mike Little uh, and, and, and Noah and some of the team out there that there's a lot of factors that, that go into actually catching fish. Uh, it, not only do you have to have the right gear, right? You have to have that right rod and the right lures and all of that stuff. You have to have the right bait, right? You have to be, be feeding the fish something that they want. But there's a factor that I never really knew about until we started doing these retreats, and it has everything to do with the tide. The tide plays a huge role in whether the fish are biting. Now, pop quiz for you guys, is it better to fish at high tide or low tide? Really neither. Uh, the, the key with fishing, I know I just wanted everybody to get that one wrong. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> the key is that the, the tide is moving. You want to be on the one side or the other of dead low or dead high tide, because when the tide is moving, the, the bait fish are moving and the feeding fish are moving as well. And so you want to fish at the right tides. In fact, when we have pastors that come out there, uh, sometimes we'll fish at nine in the morning, 10 in the morning. It just depends on what the tide is doing. And so as we, we were thinking about that and we're in this series, the tide is rising. I felt like the Lord wanted me to finish the series this week with the thought of this, that we're going to fish the tide. If the tide is rising, our job is to fish the tide. What if part of what God's going to do, and we've been praying, you guys have been amazing, praying at 320 every day for God to move, for, for revival and renewal to happen in our families and in our church and in our world. But what if God had a significant role for you to play in that move of God? What if he had a significant role for me to play in that move of God. And I know some of you may be here for the very first time. Some of you may not even know what you believe about God. You're like, what are you talking about, pastor? Well, I want to take you back to a story where Jesus was kind of coming onto the scene of his ministry, uh, which I would say fits as a rising tide, fits as a moment where God moved in a significant way by coming down to this earth and how he used some very unusual suspects, unusual people in order to bring about a move of God. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be in Luke chapter 5, uh, and I want to read you verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to do a, a short Bible study on what that looks like, and then I want to share some of the ways that we feel like God is calling us as Seacoast Church to fish the tide, to, to really be a part of what he's doing in this season of ministry. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. It says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. 
So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. I relate to that. I really like that part of the story. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Would you pray with me as we jump into this message? God, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that the tide is in fact rising here at Seacoast Church. And I thank you for the ways that you're moving in our campuses and online. And God, today I pray that you would just speak to us through your word, that you would help us to see and get a vision for how we can play a role in what you're doing here on earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I, when I read that story, I, I think about it takes me in my mind to Shem Creek. If you're here in the Charleston area, you've probably been to Shem Creek. It's a place uh, here in Mount Pleasant where all of the fishing boats and the shrimp boats, commercial fishermen and shrimp Boats will come in at the end of a day of fishing and, and people will greet them at the docks. There's a bunch of restaurants there. There's live music that happens almost every night there. And people will just kind of look to see what happened, what, what, what came in this, the, the, the catch today. And when I read that story in my mind, that that's what I see, even though we've actually been to this area where they were, um, and uh, we're, we're leaving in about a week to go to Israel with about 50 seacoasters, and we will actually be there on that shore, and we'll, we'll see really what it was look like. Look like. But, but I think about uh, Shem Creek, and I think about these boats coming in, and you know, Shem Creek has live music, right, uh, most, most weeks, and you'll have a band that's playing, and this particular day at the shore, the, the live music was this new rabbi named Jesus. Uh, and he's, this, he's more of a spoken word vibe that he does, but he's, he's speaking and he's preaching and the boats are coming in and these fishermen are mending their nets. And, and the first thing that I notice in this story that I think applies to us if we're gonna be a part of what God is doing is that at some point, God is gonna want to use my stuff. At some point, the God of the universe is going to want to use my stuff. Let's look at it again. One day as Jesus is preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds press in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. The fishermen had left them and now they were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. So you've got these fishermen and they're tending to their nets. They're probably checking to, to see like there must have been a hole in the net, right? Because they hadn't caught anything the night before. Jesus is preaching. The crowds are pressing in on him. And he doesn't even ask permission. He just sees an empty boat and he gets into the empty boat. 
and, and he uses it as a platform. As I think about that scene, did Jesus need to use Simon's boat? No. No, in fact, not long after this, Jesus would actually walk on the water. He would turn the entire Sea of Galilee into his platform, but he chose to use Peter's stuff. And at some point, as we're following Christ, as we're part of what he's doing, he's going to want to use our stuff. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets into this boat that doesn't belong to him, asks Simon to to untie it and to push it out there. And this boat, which for Simon represents his livelihood, this is uh, what he uses as his career, this is his business. And all of a sudden, it becomes a platform for the good news of Jesus. Jesus uses Simon's stuff as a platform to preach the good news. God can use my ordinary possessions and turn them into a platform. You know, this is something that he does all the time throughout scripture. He loves to use our ordinary things. Think about Moses. He uses a staff that Moses would use to to walk and to tend sheep. And and he uses that staff. He tells him to throw it on the ground. All of a sudden, it turns into a, a snake to display God's power in front of Pharaoh. He uses that same staff and he tells him to hold it up in the air. And that's what God uses to to part the seas, the Red Sea. He he uses Balaam's donkey in the Old Testament to speak. He used Abraham and Sarah's pain of infertility to, 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 to turn them into the father and mother of many nations. For David, he used a slingshot and a few rocks. He used Samson's strength. He used Gideon's insecurities. And he used a little boy's five loaves and two fish. If you look through the pages of scripture, you'll see him time after time after time choosing to use our ordinary things to do extraordinary stuff through it. And that really encourages me because God could have done it all on his own. Uh, Turn to the person next to you and and remind them that God doesn't need their help, (laughs) right? He's, He's not like searching for ways to figure out how to do his work here on this earth. He's fully capable of doing it, but he invites us into his story. What would that look like for you? What stuff do you have that God might want to use to be a part of him healing people, serving people, doing ministry here on earth? Lisa and I, when we first got married, we had virtually nothing. We had no money. Um, we, We had no education. She was in school. Uh, would, would go on to get an education, but, but we had no experience. What we did have was about a 1,400 square foot home, and we felt like God told us, hey, we want you to open up your home and start a married couple's small group. How many of you would love to learn from a 21-year-old couple who'd been married for six months all about marriage, right? No, nobody wants to learn from a couple like that, but, but we were like, you know what? This is, this is what we have. Let's do it. Let's open up our home. And it was amazing as people showed up. We had doctors that came and architects, professionals, and we had no idea what we were doing. But because we were willing to open up our home and say, God, this is your home, our home turned into a house of, of healing for us, for others who, who, who came into our home. And many of you have seen the same thing happen to you. Some of you have a, a home and God's saying, hey, would you be willing to open that up to me? Some of you have gifts of leadership or hospitality or generosity. Did you know God would like to use your stuff? 
He would like to, to invite you to be a part of what he's doing here on planet Earth. Some of you have pain. And God can even use our pain and turn it into a platform. This week on the Seacoast podcast, which if you're not listening to that, I encourage you to, to start checking it out. It's amazing. This week we had Fred and Terry Reed on the podcast, and, and they shared the pain of, of a, a crisis they went through in their marriage with infidelity. And man, just this week, God used their pain to serve thousands of, of, of people and, and marriages all across the country because God invites us. He wants to use our stuff. Some of us, it's, it's our, our money, our resources. You know, John Maxwell did such a great job a couple weeks ago, helping us to see that our possessions aren't really ours, right? That, that we are managing our stuff for God's purposes, right? The, the, the phrase that comes to mind is God doesn't need your French fries. And, and, but, but did you know that God will use your resources to be a part of what he is doing, what he wants to do? And Jesus's first real moment here in ministry, he chooses to use Simon's stuff. So the first thought for us is that at some point, God is going to want to use my stuff. The second thought that I, I saw as I was looking at the story is that my stuff in God's hands is infinitely more effective than my stuff in my hands. My stuff in God's hands is infinitely more effective than my stuff in my hands. Let's, let's go back to the story for a minute. Go back to Shem Creek. You got this fisherman, Simon. He, he had a whole night of fishing, caught nothing, and, and Jesus now is using his boat. He's preaching from his boat. And when he finished speaking, he says to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. I want you to listen to Simon. And by the way, this Simon would end up becoming Peter, the one who Jesus would use to really build his church. But listen to the, 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 the frustration in his voice. It's like he, he's, he's honorable. He's respectful. But he's a little bit frustrated. He says, Master, we worked hard all night last night and didn't catch a thing. It's like he, he's, he's wanting to make sure Jesus knows that throwing out our nets is not just an easy thing. Like there's a whole process that goes into that. We, we're just finishing up cleaning our, our nets and mending our nets. We've got to be ready to go back out tomorrow. But, but if you say so, I'll humor you. You're a pretty good preacher you know nothing about fishing, but okay, we'll, we'll do this. We'll do this. I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. They had to shout for help for their partners to, to bring the other boat. And soon the, the other boats were filled. I want you to imagine two boats, boats so full of fish that both of them are on the verge of sinking. Simon's business was a lot better in God's hands than it was in his own hands, right? I mean, we're talking about a life-changing catch of fish. We're talking about a, a catch of fish that's going to probably provide resources for, for the entire town to be able to eat and, and for their family. And, and they realize in that moment that, man, <laughs> my stuff, when I'm willing to be open-handed with it and allow God to use it, is, is in a lot better hands in God's hands than it is in my own. What holds us back from, from letting God use our stuff? I think for most of us, we have this idea that God just wants to take all of our stuff from us. <laughs> and I think about this story where, where, where Peter's like, hey, yeah, you can use my boat, and Jesus uses his boat, and, 
but, but it's like Jesus wants to prove a point, and there's a fine line here where people have misused these kinds of teachings and, 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 and scriptures to say, hey, uh, if, if you'll give God your money, he'll give you 10 times more, and you just name it and claim it, and God, I'm going to give you my car, and you give me a mansion, and that's not at all what is happening here. But what Jesus is doing is showing Peter, hey, I can take care of your needs. You can trust me. I'm a good God. I'm a, I'm a good rabbi. I'm a good teacher. And he, and he puts his nets down, and all of a sudden, they have this amazing catch of fish. And I don't know about you, but I'm, maybe I'm just a, a bad dude. I read this scripture, and I'm thinking, what would I do if I was Peter? What would I do? And I think if I was Peter, I would pull my business leaders, my, my partners, uh, over onto the shore with Jesus, and I would say, hey, Jesus, we'd like to, we'd like to offer you a part of our business. If you could do that once or twice a month, we're going to give you 50%. I just envision Shark Tank, right? Like we're going to give you 50% of what we're doing. You just do that once or twice and we could go into business together, right? It's because they realize, man, this guy is amazing. They realize, man, my stuff in God's hands is a whole lot better than my stuff in my hands. What would it look like for you to, to let that truth sink deeply into your heart? I was, I was talking to a friend of mine this week who's in, in the service with us today, and he called me after last week's message, and he said, hey, man, I really want to be a part of what, what, what y'all are doing and what's happening out at Church Creek, and, and he's in the insurance industry. And so uh, right now, open enrollments get ready to start, and it's kind of the real busy season for them for the next couple of weeks. And he said, here's what I did last year. Last year, I really felt like God told me to just trust him with this season of my life. And he said, I'm a tither, so he gives 10% of his income uh, to, 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 to God. That's something that he's been doing for a while now. But he said last year, he felt like God told him to give 10% more of his income during that season. So just during open enrollment, during the, a couple of months during that season, to give another 10% to serve pastors and to serve what God is doing. So he called me to tell me this story, and he said, man, this past year, we had the most, the, the biggest year that we've ever had in our business happened in this past year. And he was calling to, to let me know he was wanting to do it again and to help, help get that set up for him. And, and as I was talking to him, there was no sense of like, man, you know, name it and claim it deal. It was just, man, I just was obedient to what God was calling me to do. And it's been amazing to see what God has done in my business through this. And he was like, I'm looking forward to doing it again. And, and he even said, he said, hey, last year we gave X amount. This year, I'm just hoping that we're gonna give about 10 or 15% more than that, just believing that. But it was, just, it was, it was fun for him. This is not like a, man, a, 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 you know, I feel like I should do this because God, no. We know that God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, the, the Bible says that you should never give out of compulsion. You should never give reluctantly. So if that's, if that's where your mind is, but Peter, this happens, and he's like, man, wow, God is amazing. amazing. God is able to do so much more with what's in my hands than I can. And so, so Peter's in this moment. They've, they've got the full boat. I told you what I would probably do, but I want you to notice what happens for Peter. He, he doesn't offer Jesus a business deal. In fact, what he does is he falls to his knees and he's completely overwhelmed. We learned that the third thought for us in this story, which is this, surrendering my stuff to him will ultimately lead me to my purpose. See, for God, it's never about our stuff. He doesn't need our stuff, but he wants us. 
He wants our lives. He wants to show us a life of purpose. Look what, what happens with Simon Peter. Verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, were so amazed. But look what Jesus said to him. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they didn't go into business together. In fact, they left everything and followed Jesus. It's so fascinating for me to see Simon Peter's response to this miracle, isn't it? I mean, God just shows up in this powerful way. And, 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 and instead of being excited about the fish, instead of it's like he, he realizes he's in the presence of a living God and he's awestruck by this miracle. And much like what happens to me, and maybe it's happened to you sometimes when you're in the presence of God, you realize how simple you actually are. You realize how little you actually are. And so he just gets on his knees and he's like, Jesus, get away from me. You have no idea how sinful I am. And what I love about this story is that it's in that moment. It's in that moment of humility. It's in that moment of, of his own recognition of how sinful he is and how very little he has to offer Jesus that Jesus sets him onto his life's purpose. I love it that it wasn't after a night of him catching all of this fish that Jesus is like, you know what, man, you're a really good fisherman. Maybe you should come join me. I need those gifts to help me learn how to fish for people. No, no, no. It was at this moment of I have nothing. Jesus, I don't feel worthy to be in your presence. And some of you feel that way when you show up to church on the weekend or when you get in the presence of a, a mature Christian or, or you get into to worship and you're like, ah, I feel so sinful. Jesus, if you knew what I was up to last night, if you knew what my life really looked like, you would not want anything to do with me. And it's in that moment that Jesus says, hey, I want to invite you into a life of purpose. I want to invite you into a life that you never dreamed was possible. And so many of us are trying to figure out why on earth am I here? What, what, what is life all about? What is the purpose? And, and Jesus is like, man, just come with me. I want to show you what life is all about. I had one of these moments. I feel like how Peter must have felt this week. I had a really cool opportunity on Thursday of this week. My brother and my dad and I went up to Washington, D.C. for one day. And we spent the full day with John Maxwell and a woman by the name of Doris Kearns Goodwin. Anybody ever heard of Doris Kearns Goodwin? Yeah, she's uh, uh, probably one of the most renowned historians, presidential historians that's alive today. She's written a number of books. She wrote a book called Team of Rivals that studied Abraham Lincoln and his leadership. And she's written a, a number of books on presidents. I asked her how long it took her to write Team of Rivals, eight years that she spent studying the life of Abraham Lincoln. So we did one day with her and the whole day was about learning from Abraham Lincoln about his life and his leadership so that we could become better leaders. And I'm telling you, it was amazing. This woman has such a gift. I felt like I had, I felt like I spent the day with Abraham Lincoln. 
from his childhood, uh, stories of, 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 of his childhood and losing his mom and, and what it was like to grow up on the farm that he grew up on to his early days of, of politics. And I've always loved Abraham Lincoln. What an amazing president. Not a perfect man, right? But an amazing president. Led our country through the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation. And as we're going through this day, I'm falling more in love with Abraham Lincoln. I'm wanting to, to be more like him. I'm learning, taking pages of notes of his leadership. And then we move towards the end of Abraham Lincoln's life. And I became painfully aware again of my family's role in the death of Abraham Lincoln. We, we ended up going over to Ford's Theater. And this is the theater where John Wilkes Booth assassinated Abraham Lincoln. And as you walk through Ford's Theater and, and you see the story of the last day of Lincoln's life, and you go down into uh, the, the, the library area, you'll, you'll see some familiar names uh, in Ford's Theater. I want to show you a couple of the pictures that I took. Uh, that's John H. Surratt. John was involved in the conspiracy to to kill Abraham Lincoln. You've got the next picture is Mary Surratt. Mary was the owner of a halfway house, and it was in that home that they conspired to kill Abraham Lincoln. The next picture is Mary and John Wilkes Booth together, which just was a stark reminder for me of, of our family's role. And then this next picture is a little bit grainy, but it's a, a real picture. And that's second one on the left is Mary Surratt, it's an actual photo that was taken. She was the first woman to ever be hanged by the U.S. government, convicted in the killing of Abraham Lincoln. And I, I've known that story, and I've shared that story with you before, but something about this day, as we're learning about this incredible leader, and I just began to feel a sense of shame, a sense of anger towards my family's role. Obviously, I don't know these people. Uh, they, they were generations before me. But I just began to feel just this sense of sadness for what had happened and our family's role in it. We were sitting in Ford's Theater. We were sitting right across from the, the booth where he was killed, the, the box. And at that point, Doris Kearns Goodwin said, hey, would you, Surratt's, tell some of your family's story? We hadn't been able to talk about it, but she knew it as a historian. And so my dad shared some of what I just shared with you and what the Surratt family was, was like. And it was interesting because as he finished sharing, there was kind of a, a moment of just, you just sensed that God's spirit was in that place. And I felt like God spoke to me. And he said, Josh, throw a net out. I want you to throw a net out. And so I got up, and we had about 15, 20 people there. Some of them were believers, but some of them weren't. And I said, hey, Dad just shared the Surratt story, but I want you to know something about that story because I've felt a great deal of shame today and just sadness, and I wish that this wasn't part of our family story. But what you need to know is that's not the end of the story. Because generations later, actually for a couple of generations, that was what our family was like. We occupied some of the great jails and prisons of America. That's what Surratt's were all about. Bootleggers, uh, prohibition, uh, we, 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 we sold alcohol illegally, we killed people, we were murderers. That, that's who we were. And I said, but it all changed with one generation, one man. His name was E.L. Surratt. And he gave his life to Christ 
And what you need to know is that the story of the Surats, if you were to Google it today, you're not going to hear about Mary and John. You're going to hear about Greg and Jeff and Doyle and Dwight and 30 some other Surats who are in full-time ministry because of the power of God. One man, E.L. Surat, made a change, made a decision to surrender everything to Christ. And in doing that, God put him on a purpose and he became a pastor. And now our family went from the gallows to preaching the gospel in a few generations, because that's what God can do. That's what he can do. And he can do it for you as well. And so when we get to that place of surrender, of just saying, God, I, I give you my life. I give you my stuff. I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. He can set us in to a life of purpose. Man, I cannot wait to see what God is going to do among us here at Seacoast. For the last couple of minutes, I just want to share a little bit of where we feel like God is calling us in this next season to, to throw the nets. And I want you to know if you're here, there's not going to be a pressure giving moment today. In fact, a lot of you maybe came prepared to give some today. That's great. Some of you are just going to be thinking about what you're going to do uh, with your end of the year giving. And that's, that's fantastic. But we feel like God has called us to throw out the nets in some strategic areas here. One being Seacoast Campus Projects. Seacoast Campus Projects. You know, we do a whole lot of things. We do missions and we serve people in need. But I don't want us to ever forget that the greatest calling that we have is to build the church, to set up outposts in our cities, to, to present the gospel and the good news of who Jesus is. I love this passage of scripture that Jesus said it to, to Peter in Matthew 16. The same guy that was on his knees saying, get away from me. I don't belong in your presence. Jesus looks at him and says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have a privilege of being a part of, of building the church with Jesus. And in this next season, we see a few key areas. One of them is on John's Island. And we've talked to you guys about John's Island, but we are doing ground up construction on John's Island. We announced this last year and we told you that we were going to need to raise about five to six million dollars. And guess what? Inflation, it's going to be more like eight million dollars. Um, praise the Lord. But you know what? He's able to provide. We believe that he will. It's amazing. We had a million dollar gift and we quickly matched that million dollar gift last year. And then we had another person that said, hey, we want to give a million dollar gift. And we've had about $400,000 come in towards that match. And so God is doing incredible things. But I want to show you a little bit of what that building is going to look like. So let's put up the pictures if we haven't already of the Johns Island campus. Isn't that amazing? It's going to be a place, an outpost uh, right at the corner of Bohicket Road and Plowground Road. And we're going to build that campus. We're hoping to start construction uh, middle of next year. And we're going to see God do incredible things through the campus on John's Island. It's a little quiet in here, but on John's Island, they are going crazy. Let's give it up for what God is going to do in John's Island. I want to briefly mention Greenville campus as well. We love you guys in Greenville. Greenville's been setting up and tearing down. We have found a building that we believe is the one that God has called us to. It's going to be a lease situation. It's going to take about $2 million to upfit that building. And so we're beginning the process of, of raising money for that as well. Uh, we also uh, have a lot happening in Somerville. Somerville has been our fastest growing campus. And so 
uh, in December of this year, we're actually going to purchase the building that we're currently meeting in, in Somerville. So that's going to be about a $4.8 million purchase. And we're looking to expand there. And then check this out. Uh, there are five 5A schools in the, the town of Somerville. Uh, Somerville is bursting at the seams on all sides. And so one year from now, the fall of next year, not only are we going to continue to expand our current building, but we're going to plant a new Somerville campus at a location to be uh, disclosed later. And so I'm excited about what God has called us to do in building the church. Uh, we're going to continue to build in Manning. We've purchased a building in Manning. We're currently leasing that out. That lease ends in 2024. And so we're looking forward to upfitting that. A lot that we're going to do in Seacoast campuses. In fact, we've got about 17 to $18 million worth of vision uh, for our Seacoast uh, campuses. The, the good news is that's fully funded. The bad news is that money is in your pockets. And so, um, <laughs> but here's what we love to say at Seacoast. And I really truly mean this. We just determine the vision uh, as a team and you guys help us set the pace for that. And so there's no pressure on that. We're not looking to do everything, you know, next month. We, we just want you to pray about would God call you to be a part of that vision. And we know he already has stirred many people's hearts to be a part of that. But there's another thing that we're going to do. There's a lot I could talk about next generation. I'm not going to get deep into that. But man, we, we are seeing so much happen. We had more kids at kids camp and more students at custom camp than we've ever had in the history of our church. And this is after a pandemic. This is after the camp before uh, that got nicknamed COVID camp because we had so many kids that, that got sick at that camp. But God has re restored and re renewed and it's been amazing. But, but one other project I want to tell you about before we jump into response time. And by the way, you've got a card that, that you got. I think it was either on your seat or it was handed to you. And it goes into a whole lot more detail. But with, with global missions, we live in such a unique time. You know, Jesus told us one of the last things that he said was, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All nations. We've always felt a call to all nations. Did you know that in our lifetime, a lot of the Bible experts believe that it'll be about 2033 or 2034, that the Bible is going to be translated into every language on the earth. In our lifetime, the Bible is going to be translated into every single language on the earth. And, and last year, about a year ago, I heard about a project that Biblica and One Hope are partnering on and to, to really accelerate the process of translating the Bible into every language. And so we began to pray and talk as a team and go, man, we would love for Seacoast to be a part of it. It costs about a million dollars to translate the Bible into a language. And so we began to pray together and go, hey, what role would God have us to play in it? And God has opened up the door for us to translate the Bible into the dialect of Eastern Punjabi. Uh, I probably am not saying that right, but it's a part of the world in India and Pakistan. 68% of the people that live there are living below the poverty line, and there are 48 million people that speak that language, and they don't have a Bible translated into their language. What do you say, Seacoast? What if we were a part of translating the Bible for 48 million people to be able to, to see and know the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And so, God willing, we think it'll take about five years 
to do this project, but we're hoping and praying that we'll be able to raise a million dollars towards that project to be a part of translating the Bible to a whole group of people who, in this moment that we're in right now, don't have a Bible in their language. And there's so much more that I don't have time to tell you about. We were going to do a Legacy Vision Night. It got, it got canceled because of the hurricane. But man, I am so excited. Jesus is calling us to throw out our nets, to, to, to get involved in seeing him do something in our communities and our campuses. Uh, we've got bracelets that we created, wristbands. They say legacy, and they say the tide is rising. And our campus pastors will let you know during response time where you can get yours at your campuses. But, but I'm just wearing this as a reminder. You know, we, we did prayer at 320 every day. We're, we've wrapped up that season with this, this week's message. But I want to encourage you, one of the things that I want you to do in response is to grab a wristband. And every time you see that, maybe you'll wear it. Maybe you'll place it somewhere where you'll see it. I want you to think about the boat that, that Jesus chose to step into. The fact that God would use a sinful person like Peter, and he wants to use you and me as well. And as the tide is rising, that we would just reflect, God, what's my role going to be in that? Are, are you want me to play a role financially in that? And listen, I know there are some of us that are here that, that we could write a, a big check. We could be a part of, you know, I can't, I just, I'm so grateful for those that God has resourced and the ways to be able to offer a million dollar matching gift. That's just amazing. But there are a lot more of us that are like me that are like, I don't know that I've got much to offer. I want you to remember Simon. He said, man, I, I am a sinful person. I got nothing to give. That it's in that place that God says, hey, I can take your ordinary and I can use it for the extraordinary. Some of you, it's going to be opening up your home. It's going to be serving people. It's going to be going on mission trips. But God's inviting all of us into this journey to throw our nets on the other side of the boat and watch and see what he does. Would you guys pray with me as we close? Father, I'm so grateful uh, for your love, for your grace. Lord, I'm so grateful, Lord, that for every one of us that may feel distant from you, that may feel unqualified, Lord, that through your word, you've shown us, Lord, that it's in those moments Lord, that you want to speak life into us, that you want to speak purpose into us, that you want to invite us into a far greater calling than we could have ever imagined, that you would take this failed fisherman named Simon and that you would turn him into a disciple, a follower of you, that you would look at one day and say, I'm going to build my church and you're going to be a part of it, that you would use him in ways he never could have imagined. Would you do the same with us? Or would you do the same with me? Lord, would you help us to be a part of the tide rising in our homes, in our cities? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to respond to God. We're going to respond to God. And the question that we ask is, number one, what's God saying to you today? What's he saying to you? You know, you're not here on accident. Why did he call you to be here today? And what are you going to do about it? And there are a lot of different ways that we can respond. You know, some of us, maybe for you, you need to go to the cross. And much like Peter in that moment, just feeling unqualified, feeling painfully aware of his own sin, 
his own shame. She's going to go to the cross. Maybe you've been carrying something. Just leave it there. Say, Jesus, would you exchange my sin for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your love? And whatever you're walking through, go to the cross. Let Jesus do a work in your life. Some of us are going to come and receive prayer. Maybe you're walking through something hard right now and you just need somebody to pray with you and believe with you and stand with you. Some of us are going to go light a candle. And maybe that candle for you represents somebody that you're praying for. Here, here was a thought that I had that I didn't have time to preach. But now that we're on response time, it's like I get a whole new clock. It's amazing what the team can do. But, but, but when Jesus told him to throw the, the nets out on the other side of the boat, I mean, basically, just about every fish in the Sea of Galilee just happened to be right there where they needed to be. And it's amazing to me because Jesus created those fish. He created that sea. He knew where they needed to be. And, and maybe you've been praying for somebody who feels like they're lost or swimming far away from where any net might reach them. But God knows where they are. He knows how to find them. He knows how to bring them in. Maybe you're going to go to the candle and just pray for somebody. But man, you, 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 you love that the tide is rising and you love that somebody's going to be reached in Greenville and, and Asheville and John's Island. But man, you've got somebody in your own life that you're praying for. Go light a candle. Say, God, would you do something? Would you, would you Lord, cause them to be where, where you are, where the nets are, that they would be a part of what God is doing here? And then for all of us, I would just ask you to consider being a part financially of what God is doing. Here at Seacoast, we, when we talk about stuff like this, I hope you feel and know this is a low-pressure environment. I don't want you to give out of compulsion, but I do ask you just to pray. I believe that everything that we own belongs to God. And so if he's calling us to do this vision, if he's calling us to reach people in these parts, of, and you may go, well, man, what about here? What about the, the seats in Mount Pleasant? Well, just know that all of us are sitting in seats that somebody else sacrificed for at some point. And so we get to be a part of doing that as well. But just to go, God, what, what role would you have me to play? What role would you have me to play? And again, some of you may want to give today at our offering boxes. And there are instructions for how you can give. You can text to give. You can give online. We have a website, uh, seacoastlegacy.org, that's got all of the information and details about all the projects. But we would just ask you to pray about what God would call you to do to be a part of it. And then we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate an awesome God who loves us so much. So what's God saying to you? Let's respond to him together.